This second Bible reading This second Bible reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through to 13. It'll be in about the middle of your pew Bibles, or you can follow along up on the screen. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, O Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leaf stumps when they are cut down, so, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Thanks be to God for the reading of his word. Thank you, uh, Kay. Well, uh, as Kay gets back to her seat, we do want to welcome you back from Sydney, Kay, to Melbourne. Uh, It's great that you're back with uh, your parents and your sister here as well. And I'm sure you're happy to be back at home here as well in Melbourne. So (laughs) I'm not really sure. Probably like Sydney more, is it? (laughs) Okay. Well, warm welcome back to you, Kay, and uh, and thanks for reading God's word for us this morning. I see... um, some of you back from your holidays, if I had wished you a um, happy new year, happy new year to you as well uh, this, this morning. And we pray God's blessings for you in this new year as you've traveled perhaps overseas or been uh, here in Australia. Warm welcome back. Well, let's uh, come uh, to our God in prayer. Let's, let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this day. We thank you for your steadfast love for us. And this morning we pray for your grace, for your wisdom. As we look at this important topic, Lord, um, the holiness of you, Lord. Father, I confess my own weaknesses, my own sinfulness, our own sins that are ever before us. And we thank you for the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin. And so we ask, O Lord, that you bless our time together as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, friends, this morning um, we're going to look at the God who is holy. 
based on the text Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 to 4 where Isaiah is given a vision of God. If you have your Bibles uh, to that passage uh, open, that would be great as well this morning. It is, it is a remarkable passage, a passage that stresses one of the most significant attributes of God. It communicates to us powerfully the distinction between whatever gods that there may be in this world, and there are none, compared to this God, the God of the scriptures, the God who we worship, this God who is called the Holy One. And last Sunday we looked at Exodus chapter 3 where God spoke to Moses from the burning bush, revealing to Moses that God, his name is I am who I am. Remember that? Perhaps not, but that's okay. And his name is also Yahweh, the covenant sacred name of God, Yahweh. A name that cannot be and perhaps even said by some of our Jewish friends because it was such a sacred name. And it is because in the name Yahweh, God has revealed the sacredness of his character. And today we're going to look at his holiness. What does that mean to us? As we live in 2016. Well, this morning we're going to look at this passage, Isaiah chapter 6, 1 to 4, under the following uh, titles or points. The crisis, the contrast, and the call. So, three points. The crisis, the contrast, and the call. Well, friends, this morning, first and foremost, we do see that there is a crisis here. And I'll come to that in a few moments. Let me give you the context of this passage. Isaiah is given this vision. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Ezekiah, kings of Judah. Isaiah opens this, uh, his book, Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 1, mentioning the names of the kings who ruled Judah during that time. He does not begin with his call to ministry, but with a picture of Judah in his day. It was a grim picture, one full of rebellion and idolatry. You see, Moses gave these final words to the people of Israel, and he included a solemn warning that they ought not to allow God's blessings to become ends in themselves and forget the one who rescued them from Egypt. And so Moses said this in Deuteronomy chapter 8, 11 to 14. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses, and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And so what happened to the Israelites? Did they remember this? Sadly, the Israelites ignored this morning, and during the years of great prosperity, God's people forgot the source of all their blessings, believing that they were responsible for all the wealth and all the achievements in their lives. It's quite possible, isn't it, for us to do the same. When everything is going well, 
when you received all the blessings, as it were, from God, and when you are cruising along life, to forget God's good hand of grace in the past, and how He has blessed you, and led you, and brought us to this present day. And so God's people forgot the God of their salvation. And so they served other gods, whom they could manipulate and control. When they faced trouble, they looked to earthly empires to help, help them and to, and to give them the strength they needed. They forgot the law of God, allowing the rich to oppress the poor. And so it was a spiritually a staggering position to be for God's people. A nation that has turned its back on God. Barry prayed this morning. Did you follow that prayer? The arrogance that we face in our own nation today, turning its back on the God who has blessed us so much, with the Christian heritage that we have that we can't even mention the name Jesus in some context. It's such a world that we live in. And notice what God says about this, uh, uh, of, of his people at the time. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 10. Yea, the word of the Lord, you rulers of where? Of Sodom, give ye to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Can you imagine that? God's people have declined to a state where they are even called the rulers of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were acting like Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 19 because of their wickedness. And Jerusalem was a city of worship to the living God. But now it has moved away from God. And they were behaving as if God, Yahweh God, was not existent anymore. What a sad state of affairs. You see, our Christian heritage in our own country has been pushed aside, as I mentioned. But friends, despite their failures, God did not forget his people, and he sent prophets to call them to repentance. He sent Amos, he sent Hosea to the northern kingdom of Israel. They did not hear these prophets as well, and so the Assyrians carried the Israelites into exile in 722 B.C., the kings and people of the southern kingdom of Judah were committed to remember the Lord, but even they fell into apostasy. And so in, in uh, 739 BC, when Uzziah died, God sent one of the most powerful men, the prophets of Judah, one of the most powerful prophets of Judah, Isaiah, to confront the situation. And so that's the context here that we have Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah was a contemporary of Hosea and he ministered from the death of King Uzziah until the reign of Ezekiah. And so if he prophesied during this period of time, we could say that his ministry lasted for about 50 years. How's that? A faithful ministry. And so Isaiah has been described by scholars as a prophet of prophets and a leader of leaders. He is called a major prophet because of the sheer volume of written material that bears his name. He came from a noble household and was recognized as a statesman. And he mixed with kings and princes. And God used him as a spokesman to speak to many kings of Judah, which included Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Ezekiah. And so we move into this passage where we see a crisis here. Look with me please in Isaiah chapter 1 
uh, Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. What do we see here, friends? King Uzziah had over a 50-year reign, and most of his life he was a very godly king. The Bible tells us that Uzziah began his reign in godliness and did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. This is what we read about Uzziah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father uh, Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. And according to Second Chronicles 26, Uzziah developed agriculture and commerce for the nation until he became very prosperous. And under him and under his reign, there was a peace from enemies. The nation was flourishing. He sought after God and was blessed by the Lord. But then, something happened. Look at this. But when he was strong, Second Chronicles 26.16... What happened to him, friends? What's the text saying to us this morning? When he was strong, he grew proud. To his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And guess, imagine the picture here. King Uzziah became so proud that he went into the temple and he had the, the, the incense lighter with him, and he wanted to burn incense in this temple. And the priest, they tried to stop him. Azariah, the, the chief priest, together with 80, 80 other priests, they said to him, don't go in, Uzziah, don't go in there. He had the censer in his hand to burn incense. And guess what? He became so angry with the priest, and at that point, at that point, God struck him. And he struck him with leprosy. Right to the very end, Uzziah the king was struck by God. At that moment, when the priests were there, and they were saying to Uzziah, don't go in there, don't burn the incense. He was so angry, God struck him with leprosy, that the leprosy began to come on his forehead, right in their presence. You see, this man, he started well. It's one thing to start well, it's another thing to finish well, isn't it? It's one thing to start a race, it's another thing to finish the race, right? You see these marathon runners, they keep going, keep going, every, every time. And then there's this last guy or last lady, and they are coming along. And I think, wow, good on you, you have actually finished the race. Now when I go in the mornings to Wattle Park, I see an old Chinese couple there. I've seen them for years. Must be in their 70s. And every morning then. And they keep going and going and going. No fat on this guy. She's also very lean. And I think to myself, man, this is annoying me. How can they do this all the time? Every morning. And here I'm going like one or two rounds and I'm, oh, I'm feeling the, 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 the whole pressure here. And these guys are going on and on and on. 
And I, I'm now kind of trying to keep up with these guys in their 70s. But the point is that they start and they finish well. I kind of give up halfway, but these guys keep going. You see, Uzziah started off well, but pride came into, their, into his life, you see. Pride, be it spiritual or otherwise, is a dangerous thing, friends. And this is what we read in Proverbs. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You see, pride, it's a terrible thing, isn't it? It can be struck down when you think that you are it. When I think that I am number one. When I think that I've got it all made in my life. I'm better than others. Be very, very careful. Be it spiritual pride or whatever pride. You brought down. You see, God hates pride. And God struck Uzziah with leprosy. You see, Uzziah, it, this was not just about his pride. You see, Uzziah could not burn the incense because he was not set apart by God for this work. He could not just simply go into the temple because of the holiness of God. You see, that was the issue here. And Uzziah, by saying, I am going in there, not the priest who being consecrated and separated for that task, he was trying to play and mess up with God's holiness. You see, Uzziah could not burn this incense. And God took his holiness and takes his holiness seriously. And Uzziah was messing up around with the holiness of God. And God struck him with leprosy. And so when that text begins, Isaiah chapter 6, we read that Uzziah was dead. There was a crisis in the land, the king had died. The one who had given them prosperity, the one who had given them all the wealth they needed, has died. And now, friends, in 1b, 6-1b, notice the contrast. What do we see in contrast? Uzziah the king is well and truly dead. Now, Isaiah goes in there, in this time, and he's in the temple there, and he goes in there in a time of sadness, in a time of grief, And then he says this, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Do we get that? You see, when Uzziah died, there was a sense of sadness. There was a sense of panic. Who was going to lead them? Who was in control? You see, while Uzziah lived, they enjoyed earthly security and prosperity under his rule. And what did Isaiah do? Isaiah went into the temple to pray in this time of national crisis. And we see that Isaiah encountered the most amazing experience in his life at the time. We see Isaiah's vision of the Lord. A vision that is awe-inspiring. A vision so spectacular that it caused him to cry, Woe to me! A vision that led to commitment and service. Here am I, send me. The contrast is very telling, isn't it? King Uzziah was dead. When Isaiah entered the temple, who did he see? Who did he see? He saw the Lord. He saw the Lord. The Hebrew word for Lord here is the word Adonai. And this title of for God means this. It means the sovereign one. As opposed to the name of God we saw last Sunday from Exodus chapter 3 when God spoke to Moses. In Exodus 3 the name was Yahweh. 
the sacred name of God. But here in Isaiah chapter 16, our passage right now this morning, it is Adonai. And there is a significance here, friends. And that's why I mentioned it to you this morning. When Isaiah got this vision, there was a crisis of sovereignty in Judah. And the king had died. But Isaiah's eyes were open to see the real king, the sovereign one. Do you see that? The sovereign one who is in control. The Adonai God. The Yahweh God is the sacred name, but, but, but this is the Adonai God. The sovereign one. He sees this. The king had died, but the Lord, the sovereign one, was not. Isaiah sees the Lord. The Lord is alive. The king of all the world still remains. The Lord is sitting. He is on his throne. He is high and lifted up. Isaiah and the nation are in a state of sorrow and despair. But the Lord is alive. And he's reigning in all his power. He is not shaken or moved of his throne. And no matter what kind of national calamity has come upon the nation, the Lord is on his throne. He is secure and no one can be compared to him. There is no earthly throne that can be compared to it. When the queen... Uh, I mean, she's, she's been a queen for so many years. I mean, she sits on the throne. She's there with the crown and, and in full majesty, isn't it? When she's there. It's a symbol of power. A symbol of authority. A symbol of majesty. A symbol of awe. And here we see God is on the throne. High and lifted up, signifying his, his power, signifying his authority. He sits on the throne, the eternal throne from where the Lord rules, where the Adonai God rules heaven and earth. And Isaiah sees him high and lifted up. This is the greatness of God. See, what a comfort for us to know that God is on the throne in the midst of the chaos we see in this world. Correct? 2016, I think where we spent millions of dollars, right, in Australia, the Sydney Harbour Bridge and Melbourne here, the fireworks and the crackers and everything else. I went out with some of our own young people, look at the magnificent fireworks from our place in, in, in Bowood. And the, and, we, and the world has spent millions. And you come to 2016 and you look at the news the next day. And the week, first week of January 2016, I said to Rose, man, what a week it has been. The year of a father who drove his car into the pier with his two children. How sad was that? The year of a young boy who was king hit and was killed. An 18 year old young man. You heard that story? We are in a situation in North Korea. They let off a hydrogen bomber, supposedly. It causes chaos in, 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 in the world scene. We hear of Christians being martyred and suffering persecution. We hear of the Chinese uh, stock market. I have a lot of Chinese friends here this morning. Uh, I don't know what your stocks are like today. Uh, but we hear it's been going down, right? Uh, you follow the stock market, you know that. The financial crisis that could come from that situation. President Obama in his Christian message had this to say. In some areas of the Middle East where church bells have rung for centuries on Christmas Day. This year, they will be silent. 
in some areas of the Middle East where church bells have rung for centuries on Christmas Day, this year they will be silent. That was the last Christmas. You see, in the midst of the uncertainties of life and the insecurities of life, there is one who sits on the throne. In the midst of your insecurities and mine, in the midst of all the challenges that you may face this year and I may face in 2016, what a great comfort, friends, this morning, to know that our God reigns, that He sits on the throne. The sovereign one is in control of this world and the affairs of this world and is in control of your life and mine, correct? Yes? Someone said to me last Sunday morning that he was going to shout, Amen. I said to him, why didn't you do it? I felt a bit embarrassed, Chris. I said, next time, just do it. It's okay. I'm not, I'm not asking you to do it. But the point is, the point is this. You see, our God is in control. You see, Amen to that. And that's what Isaiah has been given here. In the midst of these uncertainties that Europe was facing, instead Isaiah says, Adonai, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. The temple that Isaiah sees here is not the temple in Jerusalem. No, he sees the heavenly temple. The train is a symbol of majesty and glory. For example, when a king was coronated at the time, he would have a long robe that trained behind him, symbolizing power and majesty. Just like a bride. I, I don't know whether many brides wear this long train of uh, wear behind them. You know, normally it's very long, right? But today... Maybe the styles change. It doesn't matter. I won't get into that. But the point is that there is this long train that comes behind, symbolizing the bride has come with this, again, a, a symbol of greatness for the bride on the day. And when a king is coronated, he has this long train symbolizing his power, his majesty, his glory. And Isaiah sees here the train of God, God's robe, Filled the temple. You see, this is the magnitude of God. And then we read, above him, look at your text, friends, verse 2. Above him stood the seraphim, each, with, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Now, imagine that. The seraphim, in the Hebrew, means to burn. Right? So they are burning with love and passion for this great God. And the word seraph represents heavenly beings, angels. These are majestic angels who are coming and going. They go up and down, to and fro. And God gives them a commission and they do it in ways that we don't understand. It is mysterious to us. And they seemingly had human-like bodies, but each with having six wings to fly and others to cover their faces and others to cover their feet. Now we don't know what these strange six-winged creatures with feet and eyes and intelligence look like. This is an entire race of angels in heaven. There is an entire race of angels in heaven. And from what we can tell, as we see them in the book of Jerusalem, in, in, the, book of, uh, in, in the book of Revelation, and as they sit in the temple there, you see, their main job is to give praise and sing the praises of God as they fly around the throne of God. And so here the seraphim could not bear to look directly at the Lord. Verse 2. This is the brightness of the glory of God. Even they, heavenly beings, creatures, could not look upon the holiness of God. They closed their faces in awe and in wonder. 
And guess what they do? Verses 2 to 4. One called to another and said, what did they say? You have your Bibles open? Anyone? <laughs> holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Here is a threefold, friends. A threefold repetition of an attribute of God which the seraphim was singing. And this is the only, only threefold repetition of holy that we have in the scriptures describing God. The repetition is given for emphasis as if the word holy was in bold letters. And so we might ask the question, why holy? Why holy? Why couldn't they say God is love, love, love or just, just, just or mercy, mercy, mercy? Why holy, holy, holy? Why? You see, the holiness of God is stressed because He alone is holy. There is none, there is none like Him in heaven and on earth. Uh, If you are preparing sermons, there are preachers here this morning, or you are preparing talks. I don't know what you do when you come to a text like this. For me, I had to leave my, my, my work for a few moments, take a step back. I'm sharing with you what was going on in my office. I had to take a step back, reflect, think, pray, ask God again to reveal to me in His Word the majesty of His holiness because it is beyond me. And how could a sinner, how could a sinner like myself or anyone speak on the holiness of God? You see, He stands alone. The primary meaning of holy is to be set apart. It comes from a word which means to cut. In this sense, it is a cut apart, to be separate. And But God's holiness is more than separateness, friends. His holiness is what has been called transcendent. Transcendence is to rise above something or go beyond certain limits. And we have uh, Dr. Asis Proud, the Reformed theology, uh, theologian and scholar in his book, The Holiness of God, puts it this way. Transcendence describes his supreme and absolute greatness, describes God in his consuming majesty, his exalted loftiness. It points to the infinite distance that separates him from every creature. He is an infinite cut above everything else. Do you get the point? What we see here is God is, is God's absolute being, is all his, in, in all His holiness. It means that God is constant in His holiness. He cannot improve in His holiness. God is who He is, holy, holy, holy. There is no development in God and His holiness. He does not have to take time to be holy. <laughs> see, we sang this morning, take time to be holy, right? Because we know that We are unholy guys. God does not have to take time to be holy. He is. He is absolute perfection. Absolute holy. He is uniquely God. It is an otherness of God. It is the specialness of God. Holy, holy, holy is a summary of all his attributes. And the seraphim cried out, holy, holy, holy. And they rejoiced. In the holiness of God and His majesty. Notice the text, friends, here. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. I mean, there's an entire sermon just in, in those words there. 
the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is rejoicing. And notice now the change of the word Lord here. What do you see in your Bibles? The word Lord, is it in capital there? It's in capital, right? Notice the change. One is Adonai, the sovereign God. Now we have Yahweh, the sacred God. Both combined here. And Isaiah saying, and, and, the, and, the, and the seraphim shouted out, rejoicing. See, the Lord of hosts is a divine warrior. The Lord is the chief commanding officer in the entire world. You see, Israel won their battles, not simply because of their armies, because God gave them the victory. And the seraphim says that the entire earth is full of his glory. And so you might ask me this morning, Chris, where is the glory of God? Where do I see this in this world? I look around this world and I see brokenness, I see sin, I see killings, I see murders, I see chaos. Where is God's glory? Do you ask yourself the question? How is God's glory filling the earth? You see, we may not see this glory, but we have glimpses of it. For example, his glory was displayed for Pharaoh, the Egyptians, to see. And when God delivered his people, his glory was displayed. His powerful presence. You see, when Christ was born, remember a few, how many weeks ago? I can't hardly imagine, isn't it? It's the 10th of January. It's already 10 days old, the new year. Just a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we celebrated Christmas. And what happened to the shepherds there in the field? When they were keeping watch by their flocks by night, the glory of the Lord shone around them. And glory was revealed in Christ. And so we have a fuller glory being revealed in Jesus. Where God is building a kingdom for himself and his glory is being made known through Christ and his church is being built from every tribe, nation, language and people groups across the world. And we may put down, we may be discouraged thinking, oh God, our church is going down, Christians are not, there are no Christians in this world. What is happening? But I take comfort to know that this God who is seated on the throne, who has displayed his glory in Christ, is he not the God who can call men and women and boys and girls to Christ? (laughs) See, we can despair, but our God is a God of hope. That doesn't mean we sit and do nothing as a church. We need to reach out to people and point them to this holy God. What a frightening picture, friends. Have a look at verse 4. And the foundations of the treasures shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. You see the foundations. Have you ever been as part of an earthquake? Maybe a little tremor in your house? I know my parents experienced one in Berwick. I had a call immediately. Our house was shaking, son. What's happening? It's okay, mom. There's a little tremor going out in that area. The foundations, when they are shaken, it means, my dear friends, and smoke has filled the temple. And Isaiah is seeing the God. This is a frightening picture. It is the majesty, the holiness, the glory of the awesomeness of God. And this is showing God, the God of judgment, as a consuming fire with smoke. And Isaiah cried out. Verse 5. It's not in our text this morning, but we have in the passage. And I said, woe to me, is me, for I am lost. Why? 
For I am a man who is perfect. Did he say that? For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, woe to me. You see, he knew his righteousness was nothing in light of God's absolute perfection. Isaiah's best deeds, he tells us later in, in, in Isaiah 64 verse 6, that his best deeds are like filthy rags. You see, holy, holy, holy. You see, no one, friends, can stand in the presence of God. Our sin separates us from him. Matthew Henry, the commentator, puts it this way. There's no such thing as a small sin, because there's no such thing as a small God to sin against. <laughs> All our sin, our rebellion against God is serious. And Isaiah is sensing this year in this passage. A.W. Tozer said this, when you get close to God, our whitest white is as best gray. But this God is gracious. Why do I say that? In Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. What does God say to his people? Come, come. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall, be, they shall become like See, what an invitation from God to his people. Thank God that we can approach this holy God today, living this side of Isaiah, only through his son Jesus, the sinless Savior. You see, Christ paid the price for your sin and mine. He took the punishment that we deserved. All our sin was taken by Jesus. And then our sins will be washed as white as snow. Only then can we stand before God who is holy. You know, with every passing year, the reality is that death is knocking its doors at our door, isn't it? Fact of life. When you stand before God, when I stand before God, what are we going to say to you? How good I have been. I went to the Presbyterian church in Surrey Hills, God. I was a minister in the pre-ECA. Surely, that's good enough. I sang in the choir. I played music. I put the flowers up here. Thank the Lord for all those people who do so much work behind the scenes here. I served on the board of management. I was even an elder. So, surely that's good enough. I've given my money to the poor. I've done this, I've done that. My whole list of things that I've done for you, God. Surely you should let me in. Is that going to make you holy? Does that make me holy? No. It's the only, the only thing that will get us into the presence of this holy God is through Jesus, the one who has made us holy. And therefore we can stand before God one day, whenever that day may be. And say, God, I stand before you in the holiness of Christ your Son. And therefore, I am yours. Nothing else, friends. So this morning, as we close, we have seen the crisis, we have seen the contrast, we have seen the call. That's the summary. None of us can stand before God 
with our own good deeds or acts. No one is holy, only in Jesus we can stand before him. And then this text also challenges us, I think, for this. God calls us to live a life of holiness. For we are his holy people. 1 Peter chapter 2. We have been set apart for him. We are not to conform to the patterns of this world, but by his grace and spirit seek to live a life of holiness. This means, what does it mean to us then? It means that we ask God, for example, to transform our minds, to change our hearts, to make our decisions in the light of his grace, to change our speech, to change our conversations, to change our conduct, and to reflect on the holy God as we live the remainder of our days here on earth. And finally, friends, this text also challenges us in this way. And that is that we love and delight in him. For we are his holy people. A royal priesthood. A nation set apart. A people set apart. How about you this morning? Ready, you stand with God today. Perhaps you're not a Christian here this morning as yet. Perhaps you're asking the question this morning. What can I do to be made right with God? Please, I pray that you would pray a prayer and ask Christ to come into your heart today in faith. Come and meet. There will be people up here after the service. Meet with them. Talk with them. Pray with them. Talk to myself or any one of us or ever willing to talk to you. And if you are a Christian here this morning, then I pray that God will help us to live a life of holiness for him. Because in him, there is joy. Living a life of holiness in Christ is fulfillment. For the God we worship is the God of holiness. The God who is holy. Amen.